Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, we are back here for another episode of In the Huddle, episode 127. Cats and dogs is looking up to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back here for another brand new episode. We got a lot on today's agenda. As you know, I'm opening with the intro today. That means Zach is out for today's episode. Obviously, during this time of sports media, with not a lot of stuff going on, Guys tend to take vacations. Our vacations are like one or two days off. So that's why we didn't have a show Wednesday or Thursday. But we're here on this Friday for y'all right now. And like I said, we have a lot. We got some Knicks to talk about. We got some things to talk about. We got some Joe Burrow to talk about. Burrow from the borough. We're going to talk about him. We got the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Which conference stacks up the best this year in the NBA? And we also got a special guest, a New Orleans Saints reporter, joining us in the huddle later on in the show so sit back relax fasten them seat belts of yours and enjoy the ride because it's about that time and we might as well kick it off but before i do i gotta introduce my co-host on the show today he's normally a correspondent but he's in the co-host spot today and that is zay what's going on hey how's it going man i mean zach has some big shoes to fill it's, it's tough to fill his shoes man so we miss him of course and you know we hope everything's good we can't wait to have him back on the show can't wait to be a part of it again and uh yeah, I can't wait for today's show. It's going to be a great one. Yes, sir. It's going to be a great one, y'all. So let me get y'all started with that request line so we can start buzzing in here. one radio bx is the request line that you want to call to get into the show. And before I get started with the first topic that we have here, I just want to shout out my cousin who just ended his show, The Freddie System. Freddie reports all sports. You're doing a good job, cousin. You're doing a good job. Keep it going. And you know what? Thanks for passing the rock to us. It's time we take off. Does the signing of Kemba Walker, ladies and gentlemen, make the Knicks an elite team in the East? Zay, man, I'm going to tell you, I was one of those impatient guys, I would admit. Normally, I'm a guy that talks about patience, you know, even though I have none in my real life. But I still preach it because I think that patience is something that we should have. And that's something I'm trying to work on in my life. But um, I came on the show that we had and I gave the Knicks a D for their free agency moves. And then I woke up the next morning. I went to bed very upset. Matter of fact, we was in the same chat and I was sending those voice notes. I went to bed very upset that night. I woke up in the morning and I found out that we got Kemba Walker and my eyes lit up like a Christmas tree, ladies and gentlemen. I was like Zion at that press conference when he was talking about MSG. So that immediately changed my whole outlook on what the Knicks did in free agency. But I'm gonna pass the rock to you. Does the signing of Kemba Walker rather make the Knicks an elite team in the Eastern Conference? I would say no, but it makes us competitive. You know, um, the two things we lacked um, in the playoffs was versatility um, and the ability to um, get multiple players to dribble, to push the ball, be able to shoot the three, and be able to dribble to the paint. You know, we, we lacked a lot of that, and, it, and we kind of held Julius Randle to a really high regard when he's getting double the triple team because we expected him to do all those things he did in the regular season, not realizing that he was getting trapped majority of the playoffs. So um, I, I don't make, think that the Kimball Walker signing does make us an elite team per se. And my, my like, kind of standards, I, I say elite team is title contenders, competitive or playoff, you know, teams. And then below that is, like, you know, rebuilding teams, teams that are trying to get to a competitive stature. Um, example would be, like, Chicago Bulls. So um, I think the Kimball Walker signing is in a, a right direction to make us um, elite 
at one point. We just need more. You know, we need more, and we have to see what this team does. You know, because we had players last season that were very defensive-minded, and Bullock and Alfred Payton, they were very good defenders. And on the offensive end, you know, um, Reggie Bullock is more of a three-point shooter. He's not really someone who does everything on the court. Alfred Payton is more of a defender and playmaker. He's not a guy who's known for his offensive abilities. Um, we, we changed a lot of the, the things we did in free agency. We, you know, re-signed a lot of our players that – did a lot of good for us, you know, when D Rose, Burks, Nerls Noel, you know, they had amazing seasons. Um, and then also, I think I, I would say um, D Rose had a, a very amazing postseason. You know, we averaged 21, 22 a game, something that we, were not, we weren't accustomed to seeing him do in such a, in such a long time. Um, I think adding Kimball Walker and Fournier gives us more versatility on the offensive end on the court. I do always say, I've said this so many times, I, I do have question marks on the defense of how Tibbs is going to um, get this defense going with Fournier and Kimball Walker in our starting lineup and um, what kind of schemes as he has moving forward because I know that Payton was guarding the on-ball um, most of the time and we, now we have Kimball Walker and Fournier so does that push RJ Barrett to be the on-ball defender against the point guards in this upcoming season I know um, Tibbs like putting bigger players on the um, primary ball handlers to disrupt what they're doing on the court I, I would like to see how um, RJ Barrett would try to tackle those abilities but I think the Knicks are doing a good job because they're focusing on the development of RJ Barrett. They're focusing on the development of Julius Randle from an amazing season he just had to see if he could repeat the same stats or even go a step further. You know, he had 24, 11, and 6. That is very tough to really match. So let's see if he could do it again. But I would say that they're a competitive team. Does Kemba Walker make the Knicks an elite team in the Eastern Conference? I think there's a difference between excitement and reality in a way and um there is a lot to be excited for as a Knicks fan I could say going into the season hell over exceeded expectations last year you know we have an opportunity to build on that so the, the excitement is there but the reality of us competing in the Eastern Conference I think is a long shot you know when you talk about teams that can compete in the Eastern Conference I'm looking at teams one through five you know in the East one through five seedings that's competitive teams that have a chance to compete for a championship. When you get to number six and number seven, what seven through ten is a playing game, you know. So that's not really a team that I'll say is competitive. You know, six is one spot away, but you just barely making it out of the playing game. So I think the Knicks find themselves at the six, seven spot this year, in my opinion, simply because not because they got worse. They were the four seed last year, but the East got better, and we're going to talk about that later on in the show. But I think the Knicks as a whole, as a team, got better. They lost some defensive pieces, obviously, and I think they lose part of that defense, but they gained more needed offense, right? With Evan Fournier, who obviously knows how to score, and Campbell Walker. My big question that I have for the New York Knickerbockers, and you know, once I'm a little bit perturbed, I'm going to call you by your real name, just like how your parents call you by your real name when they are upset at you. My biggest thing about the New York Knickerbockers is the fact that is Kemba Walker going to be that same guy or half of that same guy that we saw in Charlotte? I'm a big Kemba Walker fan. I mean, he had an illustrious high school, illustrious college career at UConn. But when we saw him in Charlotte, he was he did these nice step back moves and sent his defender into another area code. And when I saw him in Boston, I didn't think he had that same that same step back, you know, that same separation when he did those step back moves. So can he be able to do that? Because that was a big part of his game, you know? And obviously getting to the rack, which we know he can do. 
So the injuries are a bit of a concern for me because we do know that sometimes the torque that you put on your legs can break your body down. Ask Derrick Rose, who happens to be on the same team, um, playing backup point guard. So they all questions, but the positive thing is we got him on the clearance rack. That's basically what we got him off of the clearance rack. So it doesn't work out. He's not the same guy that he once was. We got him for the cheap. And I think for his talent, for his skill sets, that's a pretty good bargain. So I think the Knicks are, are, are in good standing right now when you think about their lineup and having guys that can help Julius Randle on the offensive end. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think, like, bringing back the guys who did well with their, like, defense last year, I think they're going to have a, a similar defensive uh, play, like, performance from last season. Um, I don't know if we're going to be number one like we were. I think we could still be a top five, top six defensive team in the league with the, under the tutelage of um, Coach Tibbs. You know, in my opinion, defense is not like a, um, a skill you can't learn. It's all effort, you know? So if all the guys on the team could just build us effort and, and show that they're, they're really carrying on defense as they care on offense, then this team would go far as they did last year. You know, last year the team was full of defensive-minded players. They wanted to focus on defense, and the offense came a little later. We were on the lower end spectrum on offense, of course, but I think if we pick up momentum, this season, you know, with the threes that we were making, and I think we could do shoot more of them and make more. I think with the additions of Kimball Walker and Evan Fournier, they show that our offense is just more than just Julius Randle dribbling up and down the court, and it's just more than RJ Barrett forcing himself into the paint. We're gonna I think we're gonna see a bevy of different skills that this offense is gonna show, and I think it's also gonna help Mitch Robinson get some more points in the paint because now that the floor is so much spread, it's more open because now you have a point guard outside of. Um, Derrick Rose and IQ that can shoot the three like Kimball Walker um, and also the rookies coming in Grimes and McBride. Uh, now Mitchell Robinson is going to have more space in the paint to yes. get these rebounds, to get some more putback dunks, even alley-oop, um, uh, more alley-oop um, opportunities. So I think it's going uh, to be a fun season, um, but I know injuries is definitely something that's a killer. And I hope Kimball Walker comes into the season healthy and ready to go. He said it in um, this past season. He, he hasn't had a full time. Uh, he hasn't had a full offseason to work on his body in a long time. This offseason, he's ready to attack. And what better way to do it than at home? Yeah, and you mentioned um, Kemba Walker and obviously the skill sets that he brings to the Knicks. But um, think about the stint in Boston. You know, um, you know, Boston has a lot of questions um, going into this season. I believe. You know, obviously the coaching is one spot that I think that you know it's a downgrade. But also, when you think about the offense and how Kemba Walker just didn't seem to fit in Boston, when you have Tatum and you have Brown basically running your offense, basically getting the majority of the looks in your offense. So, And we saw it with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum never worked. Never, and we only got to see it one year, but it just didn't work. So, you know, I think when it comes to Boston, obviously, they're going to have to figure that out. How do they get a legitimate point guard to play with Tatum and Brown? Or do you make a trade and just rock with a star point guard like a Dame with a Tatum? You know, and we'll see if that helps them going forward. But when you talk about Kimball Walker, now he's in a position where he doesn't have to worry about that. And also, let's not act like this brother has not had some of his best games at MSG. You know, whether it was college, whether it was in the NBA, and now he's going to be motivated to show that he still has something left in the tank. And I think the Knicks can capitalize over that. But um, I want to get into the contracts with the Knicks because I did came on the show when we had our big takeaways and we brought up the Knicks. I was upset about the deals that they gave, the three-year deals. But what I didn't take into consideration or what I didn't recognize was the fact that there are opt-outs. There are um, the, the three 
the third year not guaranteed. So these guys, um, in Nolan's Norrell, D Rose, Alex Burke, they really not locked down for three, four years. So that actually helps more now that I looked at that. So a lot of people panicked when they saw us giving out three year deals, but these they are actually a, a way they can opt out and get rid of those guys in the third year if that's so be it. If that comes to um fruition. But um yeah, I think the Knicks overall had a good free agency. I think they got better. That's what you want. You know, obviously, this was a free agency stud class. I mean, there was guys going all over the place. But the one thing that the Knicks want to do is improve. They don't want to, you know, overpay guys. I didn't think they overpaid guys. You could argue Evan Fournier, but he also got an option in the fourth year as well. So I, overall, I think the Knicks got better and they had a solid draft class. Yeah, man, I think I think they, they did a good job at um, addressing what was needed to be addressed, and that was um, versatile scorers. That's what they really needed needed in this um all season. Like I understand people want star players in New York. Of course, we all want star players in the Mecca. You want the the best the best of the best in the league to come to play in New York Knicks on the New York Knicks, and I understand that and I agree with it. But right now we got to build a team that star players want to play for. I think we're making great steps for other players, not just only Kimball Walker, but hopefully down the line other players. That um, when their contracts end, they will look at New York Knicks and say, "Yeah, I like the coach. I like the schemes. I like how they play hard every night. I want to come here." And I think if Chris Paul didn't go as far as the finals with Phoenix Suns, he possibly would have thought about coming to New York Knicks. But you know, the Suns did their thing, and you shout out to them. We're gonna talk about them a little bit more in the show. But um, and the, those a lot of star players starting to recognize. Oh, what kind, what um, what kind of game that the New York Knicks are currently playing? And it's not the rebuilding game anymore. It's the win now kind of game. Absolutely. So, listen, man, I'm looking forward to a great season. The Knicks is on the rise. I think they got better. They drive moves was very calculated. And uh, we'll just have to see how it all pans out. I think Coach Tibbs is going to love having a guy like Kimber Walker because he loved those talented veterans. You know, he's not really a rookie guy unless you're really uh, talented, you know. And that's one thing about the Knicks. You know, there is some concern, um, I would say, just a little bit because... You know, the Knicks really haven't got, uh, you know, one of those game-changing rookies in a, in a draft. Like a Trey Young, obviously, you know, Ja, Zion, we missed out on them. You know, we sometimes get these guys that, you know, basically have a lesser role in our rotation. And when we do kick clear up um, cap space, we miss out on guys like a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I do think there's a little pattern within the last 10 years with the Knicks, but hopefully Leon Rose can break the cycle that's what i'm hoping hopefully we just continue to ball we continue to add on to our roster and next year when you have guys like zion who could possibly become a free agent they can probably say you know what this is a team that's already improving that i know that i'm the difference in taking this team to the next level where we all know as knicks fans where we belong which is at the top of the sport Yes, sir, man. But hey, we still got a lot more to talk about on this show, man. In the Huddle Podcast at Can You Dig Sports. Um, just to get to topic two, should the Bengals go into the NFL? Excuse me. Should the Bengals be worried about Joe Burrow? Yeah. So, Lil, what should what should the Bengals think about right now? Well, let me explain why this topic came about because it's interesting. There was a reporter that broke the news yesterday that the pass rush continued to break through the offensive line of the Bengals and put pressure on Joe Burrow on nearly every pass that was wildly off the mark, was heavily contested, or if not broken up or intercepted. 
So the Bengals offense has been struggling again. And this is something to bring up because we all knew that the Bengals had offensive line issues. That's one thing that we knew I'm going into this year. And that was a big part of the team. I would say this. I'm not going to react all for one practice, but I am going to react in this instance. So there is reason to be concerned, not because of the practice, but because of what you already knew going into this season, which was the offensive line. When they had the number six pick, I believe it was they had, um, they decided to go with Jamar Chase over Penny Sue, which was one of the best offensive linemen in the draft class, right? And Zay, we all know this, NFL, NBA, sometimes guys go with the more luxurious pick over the necessity pick. And Jamar Chase, obviously, we know this guy's a talented wide receiver. Yes, we all know that. But they decided to go with a guy that makes their offensive better, which they have offensive weapons. Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. I mean, they the list goes on. You know, obviously, T. Higgins. But they decided to add more where they didn't need more instead of actually fixing a hole on their offensive line. And that actually might come back to bite them. We could be looking this year of that pick being a pick that the Bengals just missed out on. Listen, you have Joe Burrow that went down with an ACL injury. His timing is going to be off. So I'm not surprised that his timing is off right now in practice. They had an offensive lineman that didn't practice that day as well. We have to add that to context. But you decide to go with another weapon over one of the best offensive linemen in the sport. Take a team like the Buccaneers last year when they drafted a guy named Tristan Wirtz, a rookie last year, right? The offensive line of the Bucs was a, a middle-of-the-pack offensive line that struggled from time to time. I'm talking about ranked number 10 at best. There's only 32 teams in the NFL. Middle of the pack, you know, number 10 to number 15, middle of the pack offensive line. They drafted Tristan Wirbs with a top 15 pick, and he only gave up one sack on the year. Tristan Wirbs, rookie out of Iowa. I mean, think about the impact that has on your offensive line. Why is Baker Mayfield successful right now? It's not because Baker Mayfield is this ultra-talented quarterback. He struggled two years ago. Had a terrible year, but he has the best offensive line in football, which makes his job easier. So I think the Bengals missed out on Penny Sewell, and that's going to come back to bite them next year, unfortunately. I, th I agree with you 100%. I mean, if you look down the history of all, all the greatest, like all the best quarterbacks that ever played a game, you know, even from like when Tom Brady used to play in New England, you know, his, when, like, in, in one of the peak of his careers in New England, you know, the offensive line was almost impenetrable. You couldn't get, you couldn't throw a pen over there, like over the offensive line. You know, they was getting, they were stopping everything or like anything that was trying to go through that um, offensive line. You know, look at a guy like Tony Romo, like majority of his career in Dallas, great offensive line. People were not getting to, not even touching him. Um, so it's like you need a good offensive line so the quarterback has time to really read the field, make the right play, and get your get your offense moving and up the field. Um, it, it's it's you know unfortunate that the Bengals prioritize creating more weapons outside of the line that's supposed to protect Joe Burrow. Um, maybe it's not only just physical pain. Maybe it's a mental thing too because if the offensive line. If he doesn't feel confident the offensive line could protect him, now he's worried about more than just where the defense is coming. He knows the defense is going to hit him no matter what. Now he has to worry about getting the ball off in time and trying to find a receiver that's not even at his spot yet, which causes turnovers, which causes um, fourth downs more often. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a scary stat where he, he played 10 games. You know, he got injured. 
and he got sacked 32 times in 10 games. If he would have played 16 games, he arguably could have been sacked 48 times that season. You know, just six more games played. If, if you would have finished the season, he would have got, he could possibly got sacked 48 times. And that's scary because he's a pocket passer. You know, we you talked about it in a couple episodes ago. You talk about pocket passes. The pocket passes rule the league. Joe Burrow is a guy who's supposed to live in a pocket and be comfortable in there. That's his home. If the offensive line is letting anyone just break into his home, how can it be safe? How can it be comfortable throwing the ball to any star receiver? You could have had Randy Moss in his prime. The ball's not going to get there in time because of the collapse of the offensive line every play. So it's going to be um, interesting what the Bengals do moving forward with um, for Joe Burrow. And I have a with Joe Burrow for Joe Burrow because they needed offensive line. I have a question because do you believe the Bengals should have prioritized getting an offensive line or trading a pick for a more veteran offensive lineman to make sure that Joe Burrow is protected in that pocket? I would have just went with Penny Sue. He was right in their lap, and these are rookies. If you get the right offensive lineman, they can help your team instantly, whether a rookie or not, you know? And that's a team, that's an offensive lineman that can obviously grow in the future with your team. So I just would have went with that pick. It was right in their laps. They decided to bypass that. And you know what's crazy? They lost their right tackle. Um, he was missing in this practice that Joe Burrow struggled. Now you can look at it from a positive side. Well, that's probably why they struggled. That's probably why the report is um, Joe Burrow went five for 12 and threw an interception and one completion was longer than 10 yards. So you can say, all right, they missed their right tackle. Shouldn't we be, you know, um, lenient? You know, the, the tackle was gone, the right tackle. But now that he's injured, even though it's a minor injury, the continuity. This is a rookie. You need the continuity with your offensive lineman. And if that's going to be affected, we can go into the season, the regular season, with Joe Burrow not being 100% and no continuity in the offensive line. Take the Chiefs, for example, in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes lost one offensive lineman and that wrecked the entire game with Tyreek Hill on the team, with Travis Kelsey on the team. No offensive lineman literally lost them that Super Bowl. It messed up everything. I'm talking about the one of the highest scoring teams in the NFL could have even sustained no success with one missing guy off that line. And you're telling me a guy in his second year coming off a torn ACL with a banged up line right now and you decide to go with Jamal Chase over Penny Sewell, they will regret it. I want to ask you real quick. Um, do you feel like the Bengals GM or just any NFL um, GM, and uh, do you feel like they fall in love with the glamour and the glitz it has to get other um, weapons opposed to the offensive line? Because I know we fall in love with when we talk about quarterbacks, talk about receivers, people that like make headlines. You know, offensive linemen don't really make headlines, but they make the players who make the headlines look really good. Do you feel like a lot of NFL GMs fall in love with just the headlines opposed to getting the guys they really need to fit their roster? Yeah, I think so. And I think it depends on the situation. The Bengals looked at Joe Burrow playing with Jamal Chase in college and wanted to make a reunion. At the family reunion, who we introducing? This my cousin Jamal, and <laughs> you know that he's a star. And when he comes to the Bengals, he's gonna ball at the family reunion. That's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to introduce Joe Burrow to his brother from the borough, which was in um, LSU. And they fell in love with that. And they thought that they wanted to give him help, obviously by drafting his guy. But it's like this, Zay, you tell your friends advice and sometimes you get caught up in telling them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And the Bengals gave Joe Burrow what he wanted, 
which was his boy, but not what he needed, which was that offensive line protection. So sometimes by doing right by somebody, you can do wrong. And this is a prime example of the Bengals doing Joe Burrow wrong by not protecting him. You know, sometimes you got to say, don't thank me now, thank me later, when everything falls into place. But they wanted that acceptedness from their quarterback right off the bat. But there's another team that stands out that's in this same boat that I think is going to regret not taking a necessity over a luxury, which is the Denver Broncos, who took Patrick Sustain, who I love. That guy's going to be a baller to boast up that secondary instead of taking the quarterback in Justin Fields. And now you have Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, who's been off and on in practice. No separation created by both of these quarterbacks. And now you got to live with that because we already know what Teddy Bridgewater is right now. He's a guy that's not going to air the ball out down the field. He's always going to take checkdowns. But you decided to go with a luxury pick in Patrick Sertain because he was the best player available to boast up that secondary. But your offense is not going to be um, able to complement that secondary. So these are two, two teams, the Bengals and the Broncos, that I believe their picks are going to come back to haunt them this year. I'm, I'm really like worried for like Joe Burrow's side, just for his division, you know, alone. You know, um, you know the AFC North ain't no... Ain't no cakewalk. You gotta freaking go against Steelers. You gotta go against the Ravens. You gotta go against the Browns. Yeah. They they know how to hit you, man. The, the coaches know will blitz you. They know when they see weakness on the offensive line, they're gonna blitz you more often than you could scream blitz. <laughs> so it's gonna be very troubling for Joe Burrow and his Bengals offense. And I just hope that the um, offensive line can get it together quick and fast because they're the, these teams are, are coming for blood when they play against. That's an excellent point that you brought up that I feel we can touch on. The division that they're in, the Ravens still got a solid defense. You know, the Ravens are a ground and pound team. They remind me, if we want to talk about basketball, of the Miami Heat. That, that team that loves to get in the trenches. That's the Ravens right there. You also got the Steelers that have so many stars. Micah Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt in the defensive line. The list goes on. And you also have the Browns who just added Jadavion Clowney to go alongside Miles Garrett. These are the teams that you got to play um, four times. I mean, two times a year, each team. So, yeah, even in your own division, it's going to be rough for Joe Burrow. And, yeah, you have to be worried. Now, I know there's optimism because Joe Burrow looked good last year. He did. But situation always matters. And that's why I always put stock in situation because we know Joe Burrow is good. He's probably as good as Justin Herbert. But Justin Herbert, you know, he's ultra talented, but he's in a better situation this year. Patrick Mahomes was in a great situation. He's struggling in college. So situation always matters. And I, I just think they're going to regret this pick going down the line. I agree, man. Um, shoot. I, I just don't know. Like I said, we got to see to see how this, how this works out. Hopefully preseason they look a little better. Training camp continues. Hopefully they get some more chemistry going. But uh, yeah, this Bengals team is is very scary, and you should, <laughs> the Bengals have every reason to be worried about Joe Burrow because you're not providing him what he needs. Let me shout out the request line right here. One eight three three Radio BX is the request line that you're going to call to get into the show. How's it going, y'all? This is real. You got the real low in the building. You got your boy Zay in the building, of course. We have a very very special guest, NFL reporter for the New Orleans Saints. A guy who owns his own podcast, The Breakdown. We have Vision A. Bland. Sir, how you doing today? Doing great, man. How you guys doing? And uh, thanks for having me on. And I, I, hey, I'm doing fantastic. Real little, tell us, how you feeling today? Listen, I'm feeling good. I feel like I could run 
100 miles like Usain Bolt right now. I'm doing good. I can't wait to get this show on the road. Can you dig sports radio? We are in the building today. And you know what? We might as well get right to it. We got our guy, Dujanae Bland, here on the show. And I just want to kick it off right now. You know, speaking of the media industry, can you tell us about your career, you know, moving up in your career and how has your career changed in the era of COVID-19? Well, I started out doing this stuff in my room with, uh, you know, a camera. Uh, I had a guy who would basically record and uh, I put my stuff on YouTube. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, because it was polished, because I did all the right things, um, the little extra things, I was able to uh, be picked up and uh, discovered by Lake Lewis, uh, brought here to Sports Journey. So this whole COVID thing really doesn't change what I do. Um, we kind of try to do a little bit of things on all levels. Um, you know, we, you know, the in-home studio is what I love. Um, being able to do the podcast here, so it's pretty much what I'm comfortable with. Um, and you know, it, it really once you start here, when you build your career, I'm sure you guys know too. Um, starting from the bottom, you guys, you, this is what you're comfortable with. You know, you can do this because you've been here before. So this doesn't, when you have COVID and you're not allowed to be at practices, you're not, you know, they only have a selected few now. They even get accepted to these things uh, because they have to keep the numbers down. So reporting is not that hard because you know how to do the research. You know, how, you have contacts. So there's really good, a lot of tools you can use now to be able to cover teams and to do what you need to do. So I'm comfortable. Definitely. And um, Lake Lewis Jr. is a guy that we had here on this platform we're looking to get him back at some point as well but um yeah definitely it's interesting to see the journey of being in the media industry you know i always say and i'm not very shy on my show i'm very outgoing i'm very truthful you know the industry has a lot of fake people but it's good to see guys that you can actually count on guys that look after you and I would say between you and Lake Lewis Jr., y'all guys that never really, you know, was Hollywood. Y'all was never Hollywood when it came to myself. So I appreciate you coming on the show. And obviously Lake Lewis Jr. who came on our podcast before. Zay, I'll throw the rock over you to ask the next question. Hey, man, I, I actually wanted to applaud you first and foremost because it's very difficult to um, like promote yourself and be um, getting climbed the ranks, I would say, in the media world, you know, it's a lot of it's a cutthroat business in a sense. You know, you have to you have to have the context like you stated, and you have to really keep pushing and not like it's a it's a confidence thing because also you know you have the talent, have the skills to do what every other media person can do, and also at a better um, level. But um, it's also about connections and also again networking again to the position that you would like to be at and even further beyond. So I'd just like to applaud you because for your work so far and with the work you're going to do further on. But I do want to talk some Saints football for a moment. And I want to ask you a question because we um we know there's a lot of different stories coming out to Saints camp. And I actually wanted to have your input and understanding what exactly do you make of the Saints situation going on currently in training camp? You know, it's very interesting. Um, everybody has a question about Jameis at the quarterback position and whether it's going to be Jameis or Taysom Hill. Um, look, we all know what Taysom is, and it's no disrespect to him, uh, but he's a guy who can come in and win you a couple games, but he's definitely not a starter. And my reason being on that is he's not polished uh, as a thrower. Um, he is a run-first kind of guy. He can do some dynamic things. That's what he is, a gadget guy. 
I think people sleep on Jameis. I thought Jameis, when when they had the injury uh, to um, Drew Brees, I thought they should have stuck with Jameis instead of going to Taysom. Now, you know, this is my opinion. I, I really do believe there were some promises made to Taysom Hill that he would get an opportunity to start and be able to prove himself. Uh, as we saw, it wasn't horrible, but it's not what the Saints need. Um, and we saw when Jameis came in and, and spelled Breeze, how fluent he was. He was protecting the football, uh, really strategic. He's done a good job of being a, a student of the game, especially when he had the opportunity to be behind Drew Breeze. He could have gone anywhere else, and I, I, I'm not sure he would have gotten the money per se, but he could have gone anywhere else. There's plenty of positions out there. Uh, he's definitely uh, one of the third top, one of the top 32 that should be starting. Um, but I think we're going to see a Jameis that uh, has really been a student of the game over the last couple of years, and he's going to be uh, a guy who's probably going to have less turnovers, but he can win you ball games. He's shown that at Tampa, just had some polishing to do, and I think this uh, stint has helped him. And I believe that he's definitely the starter in New Orleans. And I think they're going to uh, flourish with him behind center. And you look at the situation with Michael Thomas right now, and obviously him getting surgery real late into the season. We would have liked to see that done a little bit earlier. But Absolutely. I feel like that means Alvin Kamara is an even bigger factor in this offense. And we all know that he was their playmaker last year, the last two seasons, rather. Now his job is increased. His workload is increased. So would you say that who should win the quarterback battle is a quarterback between Taysom Hill and Jameis, whoever has that chemistry going with Alvin Kamara in practice because he had that chemistry with Drew Brees. Now you have another quarterback. Would you say, you know, who develops that chemistry with Alvin Kamara should be the starting quarterback? Absolutely, because he's he's the guy that, that really is the engine that makes the offense run. Um, everybody knows. I mean, if you're if you're not running the ball and you're not doing things dynamic, whether it's running or simulating the run with utilizing him in the passing game, um, it doesn't help. Especially when you have a guy like Michael Thomas not being out on the field, and we saw that uh, a couple times during the season when he was out. It, the offense was just a little bit off. Drew had to to get comfortable with other guys. They do have some guys out there that can make some plays, but they're going to have to elevate their game. But yes, it does it does go through uh, Alvin Kamara, definitely. You have to. Speaking of Alvin Kamara, I actually want to ask your opinion on this particular take that I have. Um, you know, without Michael Thomas, the receiving corp on the Saints are looking a little bleak, and we might have to look for uh, players to have some miraculous seasons. Uh, seasons. Um, still, uh, the guy I'm looking at is kind of like Hogan, the guy who um, we may have to look at to see if he can have a miraculous season. But my question would be is, would Alvin Kamara, is, it, is this possible, is this year the first year that we can say that Alvin Kamara could possibly have a 1,000-yard rushing um, season and also in a thousand yard receiving season with the um, not having the, the weapons they have they need on offense. Uh, I think it's possible. Uh, the big question is is whether Sean Payton is going to uh, be a run happy, a run first kind of guy. Uh, we all know Sean likes to draw things up, likes to do trickery. Um, he has a guy in, uh, I think his name is Devontae Harris. He does a little bit of kick return. He's a really good slot guy. Kind of reminds me of a, a, a higher level when you talk about, if you look at uh, Washington with Steven Sims Jr., he reminds me of that shifty guy. He can play in the slot. Uh, he, he really runs some crisp routes. 
uh, has a lot of speed. Um, you know Sean likes to throw the ball. Will he commit to the run is the thing. Um, when they do, and it's really going to it's really going to depend on how well the offensive line can create holes. I think a lot of times last year they struggled a little bit, um, you know, being consistent in that area, and they were having to utilize uh, Kamar in the passing game to kind of open things up, get people thinking, get people to to slow down a little bit and not attack them downhill uh, like they were doing uh, a lot of times early in ball games because there was just no threat of the pass in that consistent uh, consistency from guys like Traquan Smith catching the ball on a consistent basis on the outside. So that's really going to tell the tale whether he's going to commit to the running the football or not. And uh, if he does that, um, you know, they have a two-headed monster. They can do that. Um, it's just a matter of whether Sean's going to commit to it or not. And that's tough. Speaking of Sean Payton and what he is doing with the New Orleans Saints right now, I see a lot of similarities with the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots from last season. In the sense that Tom Brady left free agency, they had to replace Tom Brady post-Tom Brady era. Obviously, Drew Brees, this is post-Drew Brees, but we saw the Patriots have to get a guy in Cam Newton that still had a lot to prove. What we know about Jameis, he still has a lot to prove, but the receiving call with the Patriots were not up, was not up to par. You had Jacoby and Myers, who was your best wide receiver. Right now, the Saints are missing Michael Thomas. Do you see a scenario where the Saints have a similar season as the New England Patriots that went 7-9 last year and didn't make the playoffs? Oh, man. Um, their division outside of Tampa Bay doesn't scare me. I mean, I, let's be honest. Um, Atlanta's up in the air. Um, you really don't know how their running back situation is going to work out. We know they have weapons on the outside. What is their defense going to look like? Carolina, another one. Um, I do like Sam Darnold. Um, he does have weapons, but what is their defense going to be like? Um, will they be able to consistently move the ball to take that pressure off the defense of being out there all of the time? We know what Tampa's going to do. Um, I think they're auto preseason look right now and you look at everything I think the Saints are automatic shoe in for the second spot um, I think it's Tampa Bay spot to lose everybody knows that and most people feel like they can repeat with all the guys back that they can be right back at the big game at the big dance uh, at the end of the day so um, it, it's really uh, I don't think they'll have the same type of season as the Patriots um, but it you're right there are questions on the outside once you remove uh, Michael Thomas who is going to step up? And it's not so much step up here and there. It has to be consistent and, until he gets back, however long that is. And real quickly here, too, to add on to that, we saw Sean Payton go 9-1. The Saints go 9-1 without Drew Brees. We saw the spurts that Bill Belichick had when Tom Brady was hurt. 11-5 um, at Matt Castle, 3-0 um, with um, Jimmy Garoppolo, and 2-0 with Jacoby Brissett. This was in spurts during the season. But it's one difference. It's another thing to have a whole year where you have to roll with that quarterback. Before I pass the rock to Zay, when it comes to Tampa Bay, let's talk about Tampa Bay for a second. You know, I really do think that they have a good shot to repeat as champions because I know the saying goes, there hasn't been a team that won back-to-back -back Super Bowls since 2003-2004. But how many of those Super Bowl teams brought these guys back? Brought the guys that helped them win the championship back? And not a lot of people is talking about that. I know a lot of people are going to bring that stat up. A team hasn't won back-to-back, -back, but there hasn't been a team 
like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that brought back 99% of their roster. That's a, that's a that's a big, big call right there. And um, you're right about that. That's, that. That is key to anything. When you look at a lot of the other teams that win Super Bowls, what usually happens? A couple key guys get paid. They go somewhere else to get the big checks. Um, and they lose a lot of guys. So you lose the continuity. You lose all that consistency and that camaraderie in the locker room. And you're bringing in new guys and plugging guys into to spots. And you're hoping that it clicks. It's theirs to lose now. Everybody is bought in. Uh, everybody decided to come back. Um, you already have that continuity and the momentum coming off their Super Bowl. They already know what's at stake. And we know Tom Brady understands how hard it is to repeat. They've done it several times. And he knows the routine and what has to be done because now the target's on your back. Every game is a playoff game. Every game is a NFC championship game for you each and every week. So you're right about that. That plays a big part in them repeating. They're not plugging in a lot of players because we all know when you start changing the dynamic of any team in any stick and ball sport, it has to take time to gel. They already have that coming right into training camp, right into the off season with the OTAs and mini camps. All they're doing is plugging some new players in uh, that they're trying to groom to when the uh, when the old ones go out, the new ones can pick up right where the old ones left off. That's all they're trying to do. So yes, they're in the perfect situation to be able to repeat, and that is the key. You got to have continuity, and they have all their guys back. That's it's going to be fun to watch, guys. Definitely. I, I just have one last question on the Saints camp. Um, I actually want to ask you if is there anyone that has caught your eye after, of course, the Michael Thomas injury that it could be primed potentially for a breakout season. Um, a guy in mind I wanted to ask you about was a guy like Adam Trotman, a tight end. Yeah. He's going to be the starting tight end this year. A guy, in, I think his last year in college, he had 14 receiving touchdowns on 900 um, receiving yards. Uh, is that like a guy, like is there any other particular guy on that, on that roster that could be primed for like a breakout season? I I was I was thinking of Jameis Winston, but I like your pick as well. Um, this is the time where uh, they didn't utilize Cooks. I felt uh, Cooks didn't do a great job, but I also felt like they didn't put him in a position to be able to make plays. And too often, it, he was a, a last-second option. A guy like Troutman can help them out a lot. We all know when you have a tight end involved in your passing game and you have a running back that's as dynamic as Alvin Kamara, now we ain't even talking about what's outside. Now you really can do some things. And when you, then you start talking about the guys you can bring in from the outside. Now you have a more well-rounded passing game. And we know that the tight ends in this in this passing league, in this pass-happy league, can be inside, outside, wherever you need them to be. I, I'm hoping that Troutman is not just a target, but he's also a guy who can help them in the run game as far as blocking. Um, it is very important when to have a tight end that can block and, and to set the edge when necessary, or set that set the edge to the outside and keep the guy outside when these guys are coming off the edge and coming to that inside of that tackle. Um, I really want to see that effect, but I'm my pick was Jameis Winston. Um, he's got a lot to prove. Um, there's been a lot of talk about him uh, as far as you know coming from Tampa Bay. The interceptions were a problem. 
Um, again, I thought that he should have been the guy uh, for the time that Drew Brees was out. He was not, um, but he's going to get a time to shine. I think he does have a breakout season. I think there's a possibility that he could have one of his best seasons of his career uh, with this football team if Sean Payton understands his strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I'm really saying lean on the running game for him. If you do that, Jameis does excellent in play action, and he can throw a really pretty deep ball. So, um, yeah, like your pick, though, uh, Isaiah, but I, I would be – mine is Jameis Winston. Um, so the next question that I have here, and I want to transfer over – to the Washington football team because I know you do work for them as well. So topics like this could be a little sensitive, especially at the time that we are at right now in a pandemic. But we had Coach Ron Rivera come out and discuss his frustrations with guys on his team not taking the vaccine. I think they have one of the lowest vaccine rates, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFL. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But what do you think about his comments? Because on the show that we did together um, a couple episodes ago, I said that you know, if that's something that worries you, maybe you just want to not be there, you know, in a way, because at the end of the day, people are going to do what they're going to have to do or do what's best for them. So I didn't think that he should have been worried about that in the sense that at the end of the day, this is a sport and, you know, this is a pandemic and everybody have their own ideas about about the vaccine. What do you make of his comments and the situation going on within the NFL that nobody seems to really think that it's a bigger than what it could be situation. Um, you know, at the end of the day, for Coach Rivera, I understand his concern. Um, you know, you're a person with an immune comp a compromise, so uh, you want to try to protect yourself as much as possible. Uh, they were one of the lowest. I believe they are at about 75 to 80% now, so they are a little bit... Uh, better than what they were. I believe it's in the 70s, though. I know uh, you can catch it on the breakdown. Uh, my co-host, uh, Karita Parks, has said it, but I believe it's 75 to 80%. Um, the thing of it is, is this. When it comes, when I look at it from the NFL standpoint, there were a lot of rescheduling that had to be done. They, that's money that's being involved. And I, I know we're in a pandemic, and it is about people's health, and I am 100% uh, okay with people making the choice whether they want the vaccine or not, um, that should be a choice. That's what it's all about. We should not be shaming anyone for not wanting the vaccine. At the end of the day, they are a business and they can set the parameters the way they want to set them. Now, if you don't want the vaccine, then you know what you have to do. It's masking up. It's it's You may have to be tested uh, more um, and, and taking every precaution you can to not affect your other players or people on your team that may be immune compromised. Um, the NFL pretty much laid it down and they don't want to be losing money this year. They're not going to, you know, you think about the commercials that get lost. When you, you think about the, the people think about the teams, but media, obviously they don't get paid, but we're talking about guys that shooting the games, cameramen, uh, the announcers, uh, for the radio and television uh, broadcast. There's a lot of things that go into the stadium people, the whole nine yards, people who bring the equipment in, they're being held over. Some of these folks have to do a game on Thursday night. If you're talking about a Monday night game that has to re be rescheduled for Tuesday or Wednesday. And in this travel nightmare that we have as far as uh, air travel, you can't afford that. Um, it's hard enough for people to get there on time when they're supposed to be there as it is. 
So with that being said, I'm not against it. Um, I understand people's deal, but at the end of the day, their business, they have uh, their parameters and I, I totally understand it. But I also understand that people are not very comfortable with taking this vaccine and that's okay. Um, but that doesn't mean you can go out here to the clubs after the games and go raw dog in the club with no mask on and then think you can come back and, you know, give it to players. Because at the end of the day, you can screw up your money, but when you start messing up other people's money, that's a problem. What I'm going to bring to the attention is we talk about what the NFL is doing, but what we're not talking about is the teams haven't said anything about how this is going to work. If they, someone gets caught Obviously, like I said, going raw dog in the club with no mask on and get somebody infected and start affecting the team. And Lord forbid they have to lose a, be forfeiting a game and having to pay other teams' salary. Does this player like get suspended? Right. Like Haskins, yeah. Does this does this player get suspended? Then we're talking about the NFLPA getting involved. There's this is this could be this could be a story, really. Um, I'm really interested to see how teams handle this, but I uh, I don't think anybody should be forced to do it. But at the end of the day, um, there's parameters. We got to protect people. Um, no matter how you feel, and if you work in the industry, then you can abide by it. If not, then I guess you can go do something else. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it, their business and they can set their parameters how they so choose. And the CDC, and, and, you know, they have a partnership. They paid the NFL to <laughs> promote the <laughs> vaccines and everything. So I think that's why the, the NFL oh, yeah. is flexing their muscles and kind of, you know, single out unvaccinated you know, players because, you know, I think you know if anybody catch COVID, anybody catch COVID, no matter what, he shouldn't be playing. And the NFL Absolutely. knows that. Yes, but sir. they wanted to highlight unvaccinated players because they want to force you, not force you, but they're basically encouraging you to take the vaccine because they're being paid to do so. Yes, that's sir. what it comes down to. Money yep. walks, you man. Money nailed walks. it on the head. Hey, man. That, hey, I got... I, Wear your mask, guys. <laughs> Everyone wear your mask. You know, it's, it's just be safe. Not not just the people around for yourself. You know, you, you wanna you wanna live, enjoy the fruits of labor. Please just to wear a mask. I and mean, you can still have fun with a mask on. I don't see why you can't have fun without a mask. With, with without a mask, it doesn't make sense. You know, just be safe. I actually want to ask you, um, with the, going into the division, you know, Washington division. Um, do you feel like the um Washington football team could lead their division this upcoming season? Absolutely. Um, but it's gonna come down to the quarterback play. Um, I mentioned it on my show. Um, I think it's the Eagles first. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Eagles. And the reason being is I think the Eagles are better suited in, in the trenches. They, we all know it. it comes down to what's going on uh, in the trenches. Who, who Those offensive line and that defensive line is, is, is pretty secure. Um, you know, obviously we know I think – think Washington has the best defense in the league in, in in the division. We're talking about the division. I think they have the best defense in the division. Their offensive line right now we're talking about in camp uh, has looked kind of shaky. I'm really interested to see how things uh, transpire with that. I don't know whether it's because the, the reps or whatever, but we don't see that consistency yet. And you have to look at um, you have to look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They're good in the trenches, and you look at the mobility of their quarterback and what he can do in making off schedule plays. I think they have to be number one, but I think uh, Washington is definitely number two. I, I don't even know why we're talking about Dallas. The you know the secondary has been trash for twenty plus years. And no one wants to talk about that. And well, yet we're talking about their front seven. Look, they've had a front seven for 20 years. They don't have corners and they have ridiculously garbage safeties. It's consistent across the board. The offensive line 
It's just not there. I don't know what changed between, you know, uh, their previous coach and, and, and the new one, but I don't trust their offensive line. This is why, you know, you, I cannot blame Dak Prescott for him getting hurt. That is the offensive line. If we think that's going to change, you are what you are. And these same guys are still up front. Um, so I, I don't trust it. They do have weapons, and they've always – I mean, let's be real. Over the 20 years, they've kept a pretty good offense – uh, on tap, their defense though, and then you got a guy in uh, in jeez, uh, the Atlanta coach, former Atlanta coach, just slipped my mind here. Oh, um, um Scott, Dan Quinn, yeah, Dan Quinn's the defensive coordinator. People, do you do you really trust this guy, Mister Twenty Three to Three? Oh, yeah. do you trust this guy? Absolutely not. I don't even know why Dallas is in the discussion, and I don't trust and with the Giants. I do not trust. Um, Daniel Jones. I've never been high on him. Um, I, I had an opportunity to see him from uh, in college and at the Senior Bowl. There's just a lot of things that he was doing in the Senior Bowl and in college that still are in play. And as long as you're going to be a turnover machine, it really just doesn't matter. Giants have a formidable defense. Could be, uh, you know, maybe the second best defense in the league, or at least one A, two B, two A, two B type of thing. They have a good defense. They have the ability to really bring it and bring the hammer. But offensively, do you trust Daniel Jones with the ball in his hand to make the right play? No. And what are we going to get out of Saquon Barkley? Because it can't all be on him this year. So I definitely see Washington number two right now. Biggest question is quarterback. We all know that. Um, I don't think it's as bad as everybody's making it out to be, but yes, it's going to come down to quarterback and whether they can consistently uh, move the ball, play clock, do those types of things, run the ball, and uh, put points on the board. That's going to be big in this division. But uh, right now, I'm going Eagles, then Washington with number two. The Eagles is a unique spin. You know, I never really – I don't see a lot of people talking about the Eagles. I like Washington to come out. Simply because I I think they you know they won it last year they have they know they can win it even shuffling quarterbacks and now you get a a, a Fitzpatrick that's seen every defense there is to see in the NFL he has that experience and he opens up the football field as far as throwing the ball down the field Alex Smith everything was in front and now you get a guy that can push the ball down the field and obviously McLaurin could benefit from having a guy alongside him and Curtis Samuel along with the defense I think the offense the offense got better which they needed to complement that defense so I like the Washington football team I think the Eagles is a sneaky team I'm not sure if I want to put them number two but I like the point because I'm not buying Dallas stock I think those people that are uh saying that Dallas is going to win the division is the delusional Cowboys fans we see every year that think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Not just the division. They think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not buying it. Daniel no. Jones is going to be an interesting guy. And I think that, you know, the Giants, by making the moves that they made, getting him all that weaponry is saying, the ball is in your court. Do something with it. And I watched Daniel Jones' highlights, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I'm saying to myself, he has a talent. He makes some good throws. There's one throw that made that stuck out to me, and it was against the Buccaneers. It was a pass in the back of the end zone, the Golden Tate, and he dragged, you know, good ball placement right there. But it's the turnovers. We cannot have you turning the ball over because turnovers loses us games. And I think that if he doesn't polish that up and he doesn't make the playoffs with that roster, then he's going to be on Indeed tomorrow. You know, that's basically what it's going to come down to. <laughs> looking for exactly. a job. 
Exactly. Um, I actually had a question uh, based on the comment that Ron Rivera stated. You know, they stated that their first pick, 19 overall, Jamin Davis, that he could possibly be a leader on this team as a rookie like Luke Keekley. What are your thoughts on that comment that Ron Rivera stated? Uh, I agree with him. Um, he, man, you know, I, I thought that Washington had three or four linebackers they could choose from, but he truly fits what they're trying to do. Um, he reminds me a lot of, and not saying that he is, but uh, uh, London Fletcher, uh, his ability to, to cover guys out of the backfield, um, his ability to get deep um, and help out the safeties, uh, to be that, that under versus, you know, to the over. Um, I, I definitely think and it's, a, and he's a, Guy that just brings his lunch pail to work every day, works hard, grinds, and uh, that's what this team is about. All those guys over there are, and uh, I expect him to be a big contribution this year. Definitely, and um, I want to get over to the NBA real quickly here. We know the the Lakers made a big move in acquiring Russell Westbrook. In that deal was KCP, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrezl Harrell. I want to know your thoughts on who won the trade. I actually think Washington won the trade because even though the Lakers is obviously going to be competing for a championship, I just think that there's so much riding for Washington because they're trying to make their star happy and they're trying to build around Bradley Bill. So to have a guy like Kuzma, who was a very good player before LeBron James came around, he's going to be able to shine and get shots now that you got Spencer Dibbity who just signed over there, a guy that was averaging 20 points per game um, prior to Kevin Durant playing this year. And um, I just think that they got better even without Russ. Who do you think won the trade and why? Um, I, I think it's both because uh, being a guy who is a Lakers fan um, and watching Kuz, um, watching uh, KCP, I think they my, – my problem with Kuzma is his inconsistency. Um, and maybe this this helps. The problem with Washington is now um, I'd like to see the depth in, on the bench grow a little bit. Um, I think Kuz can do a good job here in Washington. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, the, the trade w was really fitting for both. Um, but Bradley Beal is not a number one. Yeah, I just hurt some Wizards, feel, Wizards fans' feelings. But he is not a number one. He is a two. So now you're trying to build around a guy that is a two. Sure, he can score 50 points. But I need defense. I need somebody to will his team to win. He doesn't will his team to win very much. He scored 50 points and got rebounds. But at the end of the day, you're still losing by 15. If, if these guys can, if Kuzma can bring some defense, uh, you know, um, Wes Unsell Jr. Is, is supposed to be the guy that is supposed to, his defense is his mantra. If they can adapt that and change that, then yes, they have every bit of shot. I like Dinwiddie as well. The points, I want to see Dinwiddie play some defense, though, um, and, and be able to facilitate. Uh, but he can score. That's what they need, scores, consistent scores. Kuzma can be a consistent scorer if he's focused, but we all know he's in D.C., and we know what's in D.C., a lot of party life, all right? And we know Kuzma's about that life. So is he going to be focused on basketball, or is he going to be trying to shine down on, you know, down in D.C., you I know, mean, L.A. is a little up. bit more party like Hollywood, I would say. Bruh, I'm, the D I'm from the district, so... I, you know, a lot of these players, man, ask D-Hall. <laughs> 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 ask 
ask guys like Dior, ask a couple Washington players. Uh, they partying it up. Um, I want to see him focused on ball. If, he's, if he can be focused on ball, um, he can help this team. Like you said, I do like Kuzma. Kuzma does have that ability. Could have been stifled from AD and having LeBron out there. But I think both teams win um, in the long run. I think this is a good nucleus for them to build off of over in Washington. Uh, this is what LeBron uh, needs um, as far as bench, which is the reason why they won a championship in the bubble. Um, guys like uh, Dwight Howard coming in, doing the gritty work. Uh, you have a guy, Russell uh, Westbrook, who can facilitate the offense um, and and does it and can create his own shot. Uh, so it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be good for both of them. The question is, though, with all the peace changes over there uh, in, in L.A., how quickly will that gel together is really going to be the thing. That's actually a great question because I actually had one of my own, too. Do you feel like Wes Unsell Jr. was the right pick for this Washington Wizards team? I know during the offseason there were reports that Bradley Beal was pleading for Sam Cassell to be the head coach for this Washington Wizards. Do you feel like Wes Unsell Jr. was the better draw than a guy like Sam Cassell who coached John Wall um, and um, Ben Simmons most recently as an assistant coach? Yes, I do. Um, you know, sometimes this whole thing of knowing a guy, um, you know, uh, is cool. But I think a guy like Wes Unsell Jr. understands the, the history here in Washington. And I think, uh, especially in Washington, being a Washingtonian, I think those things are important when it comes to a coach. Uh, these fans have been clamoring for uh, some kind of success and consistency. Uh, they started to step up in the consistency level and started to make a few playoff appearances. And now they want to see their basketball team win. Um, and based on the fact that uh, defense is the deal, um, I, I think that's the right pick because that was lacking uh, last season. Um, can't outscore everybody. They couldn't do it consistently. And if they had played a little bit more defense, I mean, there were times they were leading 20 points uh, early in the game. And because of that lack of defense and then your shooting tapers off because you don't, your bench is not consistent. Uh, the guys that are starters aren't consistent. Um, and you're not playing defense. You know what happens. You get caught and get passed, and then you end up losing by 15. So uh, it's, it, I think that is the right pick. And, uh, you know, the fact that I believe he's a guy that understands the history here in Washington will be a huge, huge help, and he will be vested in this team. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the final segment of the show, and it's a really quick segment. This is something that we incorporated with our last guest that we had on the show, and it's called the One Minute Drill. And we're going to ask you a couple questions here, and we just need a simple answer, one, two, three, and that's that. You know, So question number one, more likely to make the playoffs, the Washington football team or the Washington Wizards? Washington football team. Who will be the starter for the Saints at quarterback? Jameis Winston James, or Taysom Hill? Jameis Winston. Which team is likely to make the playoffs in the NFC South besides the Buccaneers if there is another team? New Orleans Saints. And to end this off here, describe Jameis Winston in one word. Quirky. <laughs> there we go, ladies and gentlemen. We all saw that video yesterday. <laughs> so that's a good word for him. But yeah, um, Dujane, I want to thank you for coming on to the show and sharing your time with us here on In The Huddle. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Definitely. And um, definitely check out his podcast, The Breakdown, with himself and Karita Parks. And looking forward to having you on the show once again. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys.
Can You Dig Sports Radio. We are out. Is the Eastern Conference as competitive as the Western Conference this upcoming season? Zay, talk to a brother. Hey, listen, man. I, if this was last season, I would have said, you know the Western Conference is the more superior, more competitive um, conference, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But I feel like the Eastern Conference has made it a close, very, very close uh, race now because the Eastern Conference got a lot stronger, you know. And um, But we've seen this past season, um, when we look at the Western Conference, um, the Phoenix Suns, how they went to the finals, I think they're, they become one of the top three teams in the, in the Western Conference. And I think I, I pair those up with the Warriors and the Lakers. I feel like those three teams will be a top three team in the Western Conference. Um, the Clippers, I don't like that they didn't add any um, additional players. Even if they bring back Kawhi Leonard, he's not coming back till January, February. That's around All-Star break. And then you have to get him ready for the playoffs. So that's another like 30 to 40 game, 40 games that he has to really prepare for the playoffs. Because I don't think the Clippers are not a playoff team. I just don't think they added any additional players to that roster to continue their depth. They're also, I don't know if they're bringing back a guy like Reggie Jackson, who was doing well when they got him on that team. And the guy who was scoring the basketball in the playoffs. Um, I think we spoke uh, briefly about it. Like a guy like Terrence Mann, he's gonna have to show significant strides, uh, strides that Landry Shaman and Shea Alexander, when they were rookies on that team, they're gonna have to, to show that kind of stride where he may be relied on as a second option potentially, uh, or a third option if you're, you're counting Serge Ibaka be a second, third option. Um, I think they should have addressed um, a big on the Clippers, but they didn't really address much on that Clippers team, so I'm worried about them. I'm worried about um, a couple, several teams. You know, I want to see how Utah plays. Is Utah another first round exit? You know, I, I don't know how this is going to work. Is, um, does Jamal Murray come back fully ready for Endeavor? There's a lot of questions. We know what we get with Dallas. Dallas is a high octane offense, but defensively, they're not really there. So if they're scoring at a high pace, that's fantastic. They added a guy like Reggie Bullock who shoots the three, but we have to see. And then a team like Portland, I'm very disappointed in what they did, you know? And um, they, they lost a guy like Melo who's scoring buckets. You bring back a guy like Norman Powell, which is fantastic. There's some rumors that Oubre might come to Portland, but that's not a full-on fix. He's a good defender. Don't get me wrong about that. But you need more for that team to thrive. Um, but I, I when I look at the Eastern Conference, man, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Miami, he added all those additions. Plus, bringing back Oladipo. If Oladipo is healthy, ready to go, but everybody on that team, that is a lot of defenders, not just regular defenders, lockdown defenders who are ready to get in your face for 48 minutes, 94 feet. And that's going to be very interesting with, with Coach Spo, man. He's, he's, and they can he's score, gonna, too. He's going to go crazy on them. And I, I like I like the Heat, Bucks, and, and Brooklyn Nets as the top three teams in the East. Um, I, there's a lot of question marks around um, Boston. Boston didn't address, um, add any players, you know. They lost on um, Fournier. They lost Walker. That's, I, that's, that's a lot of stuff going on. Atlanta Hawks, they brought back players. The, um, Williams, they brought back John Collins with the $25 million a year contract. Uh, I know DeAndre Hunter and, and uh, Cam Reddish both were injured. So them healthy, I want to see how this full team comes back. But there are a lot of teams in the East has gotten better. Two teams in mind, Chicago Bulls and the Washington Wizards. I don't want to label them as competitive yet. They added some great talented teams. I feel like the Wizards added a lot of good role players to complement Bradley Beal. But I have to see it mesh well during the season. Same thing with Chicago Bulls. You added um, DeMar DeRozan with Lonzo Ball, uh, Caruso, 
and Laurie Markin is still might come back. We don't know yet, but there's a team. Those are teams that I have to see play first in order to say they're competitive enough for a playoff spot. On paper, it looks good, but I have to see them on the court. The Knicks are a team on paper. People will count out immediately because of what the players they have on paper. Last season, no one thought we would even make the fourth seed. We got to the fourth seed, you know? And um, I think teams like Boston, teams like the Wizards, uh, I mean, teams like Boston, teams like Indianapolis Pacers, they, they, they're going to, Indiana Pacers, they're going to, um like, I don't think they're going to be a top six team in this East. I really don't. And a team like Philly, we don't know what Ben Simmons is going to happen. What's happening with Ben Simmons? Did the Eastern Conference become as competitive as the Western Conference? Yes, absolutely. You talk about the teams like the Chicago, I'm about to say Chicago Bears, the Chicago Bulls here that got Lonzo, that got um, Alex Caruso, that got DeMar DeRozan. Um, when you think about on paper, the Heat, Kyle Lowry, they got him, they got P.J. Tucker, who, like I said, is a guy that helps you because of his defense and what he does in the corner. When you talk about the Knicks and what they added, when you talk about just the Bucks, obviously bringing that team back and the list goes on, when I look at the West and I look at the East, yes, the East got better on paper, but the West, I believe the teams have more continuity. They play together. For example, when you go to the Jazz, that was the number one seed last year, they basically won in the back. Continuity is right there. They have that continuity advantage. The Suns, once again, continuity. They just added on to that team um, as well, getting JaVale McGee, obviously, and who am I missing here? Landry Shaman. They added to that team along with bringing their core back, that's continuity. The Nuggets as well, Jamal Murray is going to be back. That's continuity that they're going to have running it back. Clippers, same thing. If they can return some of those guys that are free agents, that's continuity uh, minus Kawhi, minus Kawhi. You also got the Mavericks, continuity as well, along with the addition of Reggie Bullock. Trailblazers, continuity as well, minus Carmelo. So the Lakers is the team that does not have that continuity with all the additions you look at the Grizzlies, continuity, the Warriors, continuity, plus these guys that they got to develop. So I think the Western Conference, they may not be as luxurious as the Eastern Conference on paper, but they do have the continuity advantage that I think may pay dividends in the playoffs. But both conferences are looking good right now, and we'll just have to see how that pans out going forward. I agree 100%. Um, I just, I, I just, on um, the teams like Philadelphia 76ers, they didn't really upgrade their team. They were the great team. They were number one in the East, deservingly. You know, they played really well, strong basketball. But we have to see what happens with Ben Simmons. Is Ben Simmons getting shipped out of there on the Philadelphia 76ers? And if he is getting shipped out of there, what is Philly getting in return? You know, and that's a guy who played their on ball defense. He was their best defender, arguably. Um, on that team. So if, the, if you shift the focus from Ben Simmons to Fievel being a great defender, I understand he's a good defender, but he doesn't offer the same thing Ben Simmons offers on the offensive end. And um, this play, teams like the Clippers, what are they going to do? You know, they're missing one of their star players that they paid all that money for. And um, if they bring him back, he's going to, of course, look for a big contract, but he's not going to come back until January, February. And that could be a big a red question. flag. I got a quick question, and I think we both can answer this question here real quickly. I hear a lot about the Lakers, obviously, we all know they have LeBron James and they have Anthony Davis as their cornerstones and Russ, along with the pieces that they added in Malik Monk, Carmelo. The list goes on and on. They added a lot to that roster. We talk about the Warriors, who still got that core, that Splash Brothers core with Clay, Dre, and obviously um, Steph, along with the guys that are coming off the bench, the young guys that they have. Some of them they did lose. Eric, Eric Pascal they lost as well. 
plus the new guys that they added. I hear a lot about the Warriors, the Lakers, and the Suns running it back. And um, the Suns running it back, that is. Those three teams. But where does the Nuggets stack up? What about the Nuggets here? Because this is a team that made the Western Conference two seasons ago that I thought got better last year until Murray got hurt last year. They still got Michael Porter Jr. They still got Aaron Gordon. They still got Jamal Murray. Why? And obviously the big fellow, the MVP. I cannot forget about him in Jokic. Why can't the Nuggets be a part of that conversation? Um, I just feel like the other three teams, they, they, um, they're going to have a lot of chips on their shoulder. I feel like the Lakers have something to prove, you know, with the, the, everyone they have combined. I feel like the Warriors have a lot to prove. I feel like they have a lot of gritty players on that team that has a chip on their shoulder ready to really punch everyone in their mouth, essentially. Because I feel like all these guys, like Clay is two years, almost three-year wait. You know, he's coming back ready to, for blood. Guys like Kuminga and Moses Moody, those guys are rough riders. They're going to get in your face all game with a lot of physical defense and the Nuggets, as much as I love their offense, you know, they they were never really a defensive team, a defensive minded team. And I'm worried about Jamal Murray's um, leg coming into this um, upcoming season. He was a very explosive, dynamic player, you know, and having that injury um, so late in the season coming into this season, I, I just, I worry about his, what, what will happen um, during the season to see how it will work out because he's a guy who was explosive, guy who could shoot the three, guy who could drive. I wouldn't call him uh, one of the uh, most the best defenders in the league, but he could play defense. He could stay in front of his guy. But um, I just don't see him matched up amongst the three um, teams I, I mentioned. And also maybe even the Mavericks, because if Luka Doncic takes it up another notch, like he has the last couple seasons, the last two seasons, if he takes it up another notch, I, I put him over Denver as well, because Luka Doncic has been showing that he's a one-man show. He could do it all by himself. And there's a possible he could, possibility he could do that against the Nuggets as well. You see, the Nuggets are a very interesting team because prior to Jamal Murray going down, I watched a couple Nuggets games and the ball movement was moving, you know, which was weird because Aaron Gordon just got on the team at that time. And the way how the ball was moving, I thought I, at first I was like, the chemistry, how is that going to work out? I thought it looked good off the bat until Murray got injured. So even if Murray is not 100%, there is willing guys that can score. We know what Michael Porter Jr. can do. Can he do it being the third guy is the question that we do have to answer when it comes to the Nuggets. But we all know what he can do. We all know what Jokic can do, obviously. And we all know what Aaron Gordon is. You know, he's a guy that plays better when you also have other stars around him. I don't think he's that number one guy that people try to hype him up to be. But he's in a situation where he doesn't have to be. So that's why I'm saying the Nuggets are probably being a little bit overlooked here going into the season because number one they beat the trailblazers without jamal murray they gave the suns what they can give the suns in that series you know without jamal murray so why can't the nuggets be amongst that team that everybody's talking about in the western conference so we'll have to see in the huddle on can you dig sports radio <laughs> 